book of 1 Kings. I say get started because I know we're not going to finish the book today. Um, there are 22 chapters in the book of 1 Kings and uh, trying to cover the first 11 of those chapters required 11 pages of notes and I don't think we'll finish 11 pages of notes today so praise God but we're going to go as far as we can there's a lot to be discussed in this book of 1 Kings a lot of uh, lessons to be learned as has been the case from the time that we started going through the book of Genesis working our way through the scriptures Amen. And uh, I trust that these lessons have been beneficial to this point and continue to be. I trust that you are learning things about the Scripture that you may not have known before. And uh, I'm learning things as I study it. And, uh, that's, that's what it's all about. Amen. Learning more and more about the Word of the Lord. Praise God. For in His Word we find... The answers to life's questions. We find direction for life's pathway. Amen. We find food. We find sustenance. We find everything we need in the pages of the Word of God. And what a shame that so many folks have relegated the Bible to be just a uh, uh, an item on a shelf somewhere. They never take the time to really get to know this book. I want to know it. Amen. I want to know it better than I've ever known it. Amen. I want to fall in love with it more deeply than I have ever loved it before. We're going to need it in the days ahead. I promise you that. Amen. I promise you that. Amen. I, uh, I'm not here to be a prophet of doom and gloom, but I'm just telling you I don't like what's on the horizon. Amen. And in spite of some of the pundits and politicians telling us things are getting better. I think all we've got to do is look around us and realize that they are being politicians. Right. And the way to know when a politician's lying is check and see if his lips are moving. <laughs> and that's um, just the way it is. I'm telling you things are not getting better. I don't expect them to get better. And again, that's not... Uh, not a message of doom and gloom it's just the facts and the more prepared we are for those facts um, the better we will be able to endure what is coming our way right. amen praise God and I'm telling you the only way we're going to be able to endure it is to get our noses in this book and then get this book in our hearts and uh, that combination that combination when co-joined with prayer is what it's going to take to get us through the days ahead. Amen. Praise God. First Kings chapter 11 is where we will take our text today. Chapter 11 verses 9 through 13. And uh, it's kind of a negative passage to use as a text. But it is an important focal point in our study of first kings and that's why i've chosen to use this particular passage as the text and you'll understand that in just a few moments 
1 Kings chapter 11, and beginning with verse number 9, the Bible says, And the Lord was angry with Solomon, because his heart was turned from the Lord God of Israel, which had appeared unto him twice, and had commanded him concerning this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he kept not that which the Lord commanded. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, Forasmuch as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee, and will give it to thy servant. Notwithstanding in thy days, I will not do it for David thy father's sake. But I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. Howbeit, I will not rend away all the kingdom, but will give one tribe to thy son, for David my servant's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. Amen. Praise God. Again, it's an interesting passage of scripture to use as a text, but it is, as I said, a focal point in this study uh, of First Kings. It really is the focal point of the entire book, and um, we're going to see that as we progress today. Amen. And so we begin our lesson today on First Kings. Let's put our Bibles down and uh, lift our hands and lift our voices and ask God to help us today. I want him to speak to us Everybody, let's talk to the Lord right now. Can we do that, Jesus? We love you. I thank you, God, for your goodness. I ask you, Lord, for the touch of the Spirit today. I pray, O oh God, that you would speak to hearts today. I pray that you would feed us from the pages of your word. God, I cannot do this without you, Lord, nor do I want to try. But, God, I surrender myself to you today anew and afresh. Ask you for the touch of the Holy Ghost to be upon this service. Have your way in this place, God, I pray. Oh, Lord God, touch us with your glory and with your power. Enlighten our minds. God, strengthen us, oh God, today. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, would you just praise the Lord together right now, everybody? Would you do that? Let's take just a moment and worship him. Hallelujah. Let's give him some glory. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. You're wonderful, Master. You're wonderful, Master. <clears throat> praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Amen. The book of First Kings could easily be called the book of division. Amen. In, in the book of First Kings, we find the record of the dissolution of of the United Kingdom over which David, uh, Saul, and Solomon had reigned. And uh, that kingdom was divided into two separate kingdoms. Uh, these two kingdoms, we've talked about it in previous lessons, but bear with me here for just a moment this morning that the two kingdoms were Israel to the north and Judah to the south. Uh, the northern kingdom which was called Israel, was comprised of ten tribes. And the city of Samaria was its capital. And that's, that's important as you read through First and Second Kings that you understand what they're talking about here. They're talking about a, a nation 
the northern part of the land of Israel is divided into two separate countries. And the capital of the northern country called Israel was the city of Samaria. And then uh, the southern part uh, was two tribes, and that country, that kingdom, was called Judah. And Judah retained Jerusalem as its capital. And so the central feature of this book is that the kingdom was divided into two separate entities. Some scholars call this the disruption. The disruption. And that's just uh, a piece of information. We may refer to it later. But we're going to discuss what brought about this disruption or this division in just a few moments. Now, I, I mentioned to you when we studied First and Second Samuel that First and Second Samuel were originally one book. Same thing is true of First and Second Kings. Uh, it too was divided into two parts by the translators of the Greek translation of the Old Testament, which was uh, done before the time of Christ. In fact, Christ quoted from the Greek translation of the Old Testament many times. Uh, that uh, translation is called the Septuagint, and um, the Septuagint translators were the first to divide First and Second Samuel into two books and First and Second Kings into two books. And then this division was, uh, has been followed by most modern versions. In those Bibles that consider First and Second Samuel uh, to actually be First and Second Kings, then they call what we're going to start studying today, First and Second Kings, they call that Third and Fourth Kings. It's, it's no big deal, but uh, that's just... When you open some Bibles, you will see 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th Kings rather than 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st and 2nd Kings. Uh, I might also remind you that what has been called the three double books of the Old Testament, which is 1st and 2nd Samuel, 1st and 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, that those six books together uh, record the rise and fall of the Israelite monarchy. And that's what those six books are all about. They are the lives and the stories of the kings of Israel. Amen. Uh, first and second kings open with the accession of Solomon, his uh, being crowned king, and they end with the destruction of Jerusalem. Uh, it's, it's, it's quite a story to read through first and second kings. Uh, first kings uh, at the beginning shows us the temple being built. But Second Kings at the end shows us the temple being burnt. Amen. And uh, what, a, what a decline. Now, as for the authorship uh, of the book of First and Second Kings, uh, scholars um, don't agree on who wrote these books or this original one book, but they do agree that the language of First and Second Kings uh, the writing style, uh, the unity of purpose that's found in these books point to the fact that there was just one man who wrote First and Second Kings, and uh, they, they just don't agree on who the man was. Jewish tradition tells us that it was the prophet Jeremiah. Now, we can't prove that it was. We can't prove that it wasn't. Uh, there is much that would lead us to believe Jeremiah could perhaps have been the uh, author of First Kings, 
we do know that there were many records already in existence. There were many documents that were already written about it, and Jeremiah would have had access to those. In fact, 1 Kings uh, chapter 11, verse 41. And the rest of the acts of Solomon and all that he did and his wisdom, are they not written in the books in the book of the Acts of Solomon. The book of the Acts of Solomon. And then 1 Kings 14, verse 29. Now the rest of the Acts of Rehoboam and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? And so I'm just showing you a few examples of the fact that there were records being kept. There were written records that were being kept, and it would have been very easy for the prophet Jeremiah to get a hold of these records and to give us the books of First and Second Kings based on the records that he read. Now, uh, the book of First Kings falls into two main parts. You remember how we divided Samuel and uh, uh, how that even in Second Samuel, the book was evenly divided. You remember that? In our study, we, there are 24 chapters in Second Samuel. The first 12 were the victories of David. The last 12 were the defeats of David. Perfectly divided in the book. Well, First Kings is much like that. There are 22 chapters in the book of First Kings, and the first 11 deal with Solomon's 40-year reign over the United Kingdom. So chapters 1 through 11 uh, are the, the, the life and times of King Solomon. And in fact, the last verse of chapter 11, we close out chapter 11 with these words, chapter 11, verse 43. And Solomon slept with his fathers and was buried in the, in the city of David, his father, in Rehoboam, his son reigned in his stead. And so it was the closing there. You, you can see it very clearly as you study the book. Uh, the first 11 chapters talk to us about Solomon. When chapter 11 closes, Solomon is dead, he's buried, and his son Rehoboam assumes the throne. And so then we start the last 11 chapters of the book of First Kings. And these 11 uh, cover about the first 80 years of the divided kingdom. The kingdom is divided immediately, and then uh, there's about an 80-year period. So are you with me? I don't, I don't want to bore you with all this, but the first 11 chapters cover 40 years, the reign of Solomon. The last 11 cover 80 years, the various kings who reigned uh, not, only, not only over Judah, but over both kingdoms. And so in chapters 12 through 22, we actually follow the lives of two lines of kings. The line that, that comes from David, and then the line that begins with Jeroboam and goes on. And so you're following two separate lines, and it's important that you understand that as you read it. And, and you get to reading about uh, Samaria, and if, it's, if, if you don't know what we're talking about, you'll think, well, that's a, a bunch of Gentiles up there, that's a bunch of heathens up there, that's, but that's, that's not the case. We're talking about a divided kingdom, the land of Israel cut in half, and the northern half of that, the capital city, is Samaria. They have their own kings, and they have their own problems. And you'll read a lot about what happens in Samaria, Israel, uh, in Judah, and Jerusalem, and the, the various kings that are there. Now, the central spiritual message of First Kings is unmistakable. Uh, as you read this book, it, it, there is no way you can get around what the point that God is trying to make is. And it is simply this. Disruption through disobedience. That's what it's all about. 
That's what 1 Kings is all about. Amen. And you see it, as I said, in chapter 11. It marks the tragic turning point. It foretells the, the coming destruction. It becomes the key to the whole story. That's why I use these verses uh, that I did as my text this morning. It is the key to understanding all of 1 Kings. Because you, you've, you've watched David... And remember, you know, these are things that everything's built on what has come before it. But you've watched David take a kingdom that was defeated, that was, that was, uh, disheartened, that was discouraged. And, and David took it, and God put his hand on David, and David built it up to a mighty and powerful kingdom. They took over surrounding areas, they conquered new lands, they, they, they accomplished great things, and when David turns the kingdom over to Solomon, everything is better than it's ever been. Amen. Amen. And uh, I know many of you are too young to remember this, but the closest thing that I can relate to in my life in American history was uh, the period of the 70s and 80s. Because in 1980, America was in horrible shape. Uh, Tax rates were were outrageous. Some of the top tax rates were like seventy five to eighty uh, percent. The military was depleted, was discouraged. Um, there were gas lines. Uh, unemployment was way into the double digits. Inflation was about twenty three or twenty four percent. I'm telling you, it was a dark time at the end of the 1970s. In 1980, a politician came on the scene by the name of Ronald Wilson Reagan. And his campaign motto was, it's morning in America. And he began to say, we're going to, we're going to shine the light on the darkness that's going on. America's still good, and we're going to turn it around. And the people rallied. And the tax rates were dropped, and the military was built up, and inflation fell, and all of a sudden America started into a period of prosperity that lasted for many years. And um, then things began to change again. And so this is, this, is, this is how I relate to what was going on in Israel's history. Under Saul, the kingdom was just depleted. It was nothing. David took over, pulled it all together, built it up. God blessed it. David turns it over to Solomon. And things begin to change. Now, for most of Solomon's reign, things still went well. But because of some things that Solomon did... There was, there was a disruption to the blessing of God. And, and so let's go back and read 1 Kings chapter 11, verses 11 through 13. Wherefore the Lord said unto Solomon, For as much as this is done of thee, and thou hast not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded thee, I will surely rend the kingdom from thee, and will give it to thy servant, Notwithstanding, in thy days I will not do it for David thy father's sake, but I will rend it out of the hand of thy son. Albeit, I will not rend away all the kingdom, but will give one tribe to thy son for, for David my servant's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake, which I have chosen. All right, now, 
Uh, I've got down to read verses 1 through 10. We're not going to take the time to do that because we'll come back and get it later in the lesson. But, but um, the Bible says that the anger of the Lord was kindled against Solomon. And God told Solomon, I am going to rend or divide this kingdom. And he said, I, in honor of your dad... Because of your dad and because of the legacy that he has left, I'm not going to do it to you, but I am going to do it to your kids. Now, you know, as a parent, I can tell you when I have watched my children come down with some sickness or go through some problem, I would much rather put myself in that place. And spare them. And so for God to say, I'm going to do it to your son, was not letting Solomon off the hook. It was perhaps a deeper form of punishment than had he done it to Solomon himself. And I just want to tell you something this morning. And, I, and, and again, I don't, I don't even know if we'll get through 11 chapters today. But I'm going to tell you something. We have got to stop and realize. And I've said this. And I mean, have we not seen this as a consistent theme from Genesis until the point we're at right now? The choices you make have consequences. And while you may not suffer yourself for what you do, your kids may pay a price that you don't wish to God they, they would never have to pay. Well, hallelujah. That's why, I'm t that's why I tell people, look, if you don't care enough about your own soul to live for God so you can be saved, would you at least care enough about your kids to do it for their sake? Solomon, God said, because of your dad. Now, your dad, your dad, I'm going to honor him. And... And I, because of him, I'm not going to do it to you. Now, David was already dead by this point. But God said, because of David, I'm not going to do it to you. But I am going to do it to your son. And, and, and we've talked about David and the legacy that David left. And, and I'll tell you, it just reminds me that much more. This is what I want from God. I want God to be able to look down at my life and even after I am gone, say, I'm going to keep blessing your kids because of the way you lived and the choices you made. Uh, it was a thrill yesterday to hear Brother Parker talk about going out to the, to the cemetery and finding the picture of his grandmother on that uh, uh, a tombstone and 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 something clicking in his mind and he went home and began to question his dad uh this was actually his great grandmother and and he began to question his dad and said tell me something about my great grandma and and come to find out his great grandmother had had the holy ghost nobody else his brother parker's family had the holy ghost but his great grandmother had had the holy ghost and 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 he realized that he was enjoying some benefits because of a lady that was already gone but but there were blessings on his life because of the price that she paid. 
I'm telling you something. Our choices have consequences. And if we don't reap the consequences in our life, our kids are going to reap those consequences. I want to make some choices that will bless my children, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren. Hallelujah. Now what Solomon did that brought about this disruption, uh, verses 11 through 13 just say that you have not kept my covenant my statutes. Uh, you have not done what I commanded you to do. But verses 1 through 10 actually lay out what it was Solomon did. And as I said, we're going to get into all that. But it all begins with him loving many strange women and those women turning his hearts till it gets to the point, as we will see uh, at some point in the lesson, whether we get to it today or not, I don't know. But at some point in the lesson, we're going to see that it actually even led Solomon to the place that he was building places to worship false gods. After the way his dad had been such a lover of Jehovah, and yet Solomon allowed these women to turn him. Now, again, I don't want to get too sidetracked, but we, we've got our young people here in the sanctuary, some of them. Some of them are involved in Sunday school, but let me say to you young people who are not married, I'm going to tell you the choice you make in marriage is perhaps the most important decision you will ever make outside of salvation. And, and um, several years ago, we pastored some girls that were getting up into their mid-twenties and they were not married and they were all upset about it and getting depressed and discouraged and, and feeling so bad. And my wife kept telling them, look, it is better to be happily single than miserably married. Well... I know, I know the grass is always greener on the other side. You know, we were driving through Texas the other day and looked out and there was a cow that had his neck through the barbed wire fence. I mean, just as far as he could possibly get it. Same grass on the other side of the fence, but it sure looked a lot better. And he was willing to scratch his neck and do whatever he had to do to get to that grass that looked better on the other side of the fence. I know that right now when you're single, you think nothing could be as bad as this. I promise you it can. I promise you it can. In fact, it can be much worse than this. And I'm telling you that some people, I've, I've actually watched people. I had a man in a church that I pastored somewhere between California and New York. That doesn't tell you enough. Between Canada and Mexico. Does that help? Um, he was a good young man. I have no doubt that the touch of God was on his life. He was, he was talented in a lot of ways. Not, not so much as far as musically, but in a lot of other ways. Very talented, very intelligent, very bright. You know, a real go-getter type guy. And, and, and just, just one of those men that had such potential. But the woman he married 
never really loved God. Oh, she came to church. She played the part. But she played a lot of other things too. And I'm telling you that the man never accomplished what he could have accomplished. All because he made the wrong choice for a mate. Solomon was raised right. But the women with whom he associated himself affected him more than all of his upbringing. And they caused him to do things he knew he wasn't supposed to do. Well, and I'm telling you, it cost him dearly. Amen. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Solomon and the kingdom would never again, never again be what it had been under David. Never. Never. After the kingdom split, almost all of the territory that had been conquered under the reign of David was lost. The once great kingdom of Israel became two rivaling smaller states. And they possessed little more land than the original land that was taken over when Israel first came in to the land of promise. Did you hear that? They went back to the small state they were in when Joshua first got there. They lost everything they'd gained up to that point. What a sad state of affairs. Amen. Uh, well, I, I haven't gotten very far. I haven't given you the outline yet. Amen. But um, anyhow, let's do that. Let's, let me give you the outline of this book. And uh, really, again, we could divide this book, as I said, into just two, two parts. That would be the easiest way to outline it. And that is chapters 1 through 11 is the reign of Solomon. Chapters 12 through 22, the divided kingdom. But we're going to break it down a little bit more than that today. Uh, in chapters 1 through 4, we read of the early acts of Solomon. The early things that he did, uh, his ascension to the throne, um, and, and the first things that he did. Chapters 1 through 4, his early acts. Uh, chapters 5 through 8 talk about his temple and palace. When he built the Lord's house and built his own house. That is chapters 5 through 8. Chapters 9 and 10 talk about Solomon's fame and glory. His fame and glory. And then chapter 11 talks about his decline and death. Amen. So that's, that's the way we would go through those 11 chapters. Then uh, chapter 12 talks about Rehoboam and the disruption or the division of the kingdom. Uh, that's chapter 12, Rehoboam and the dividing of the kingdom. Chapters 13 through 16 deal with the various kings of Judah and Israel. The kings of Judah and Israel, chapters 13 through 16. And then chapters 17 through 22 deal with the ministry of Elijah. Now, obviously, there were still kings in Judah and Israel while Elijah was on the throne. Uh, you understand what I'm talking about when, when I say that 
these chapters. That's the focus of these chapters. But there was still um, still kings. In fact, Elijah was a prophet to Israel. You know, it's interesting. And, and again, I, I don't want to bore you with facts. But some of this stuff I find very interesting. That perhaps, perhaps the greatest prophet that Israel ever knew, the most highly respected, the most highly loved, the best known, of all of Israel's prophets, the prophet Elijah. Do you know that he was a prophet to not Judah, where the good kings reigned? He was a prophet to Israel, the more wicked of the kingdom. Do you remember, remember the, 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 uh, Lesson where I went through all the various kings that Israel and Judah had and how that in Judah there were a few good kings that served God and tried to do what was right. But in Israel there were no good kings. None of them tried to do what was right. Israel was the more wicked of the two. And when God sent this powerful prophet on the scene, He sent him to the more wicked of the two. I, I just find that very interesting that God would do that, and that Elijah would be so mightily used of God during that time. But, you know, a lot of Elijah's ministry was confronting the wickedness of Israel. Brother Parker made reference to it yesterday when uh, he stood before Ahab, and Ahab asked him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And Elijah said, I'm not the one causing trouble to Israel. You are. You and that woman you're married to. That's right. Jezebel. Most of the problems really came from Jezebel. And, uh, and so Elijah was sent a mighty prophet, wonderful acts of God that were performed, but he was in a wicked nation. Well, hallelujah. You know, it, it just says to me that no matter how bad things get, we, we, we shouldn't, as I said, I think things are about to get really bad. I really do. I think the media will downplay it. I think our politicians will downplay it. But I think we'll all realize how bad it is. And I'm telling you, it's, it's bad enough. I'm reading on a regular basis more and more calls for global governance. Uh, President... Obama yesterday in his radio address made calls for governing for, for uh, global rules on finances. The stage is being set for everything we have read about for so long. The UN is calling for uh, a departure from the American dollar and for the creation of a global currency. Obama now, for the first time in the history of the United Nations, is serving as the chairman of the Security Council of the United Nations. They've never had a U.S. president fill that position. I'm telling you that, that we're just getting closer and closer to a one-world government, a one-world currency, and the things that we've been hearing about for years. It's coming. It's about to happen. But I'm telling you that when it gets dark, it's not time for us to get discouraged and scared. 
When it gets dark, God's light shines brighter. And God sent the powerful prophet Elijah to a wicked, backslidden kingdom. And I'm telling you that when things start getting bad in America, you just get ready for God to start getting good. Well, hallelujah. Amen. All right, so let's, let's start into this today. And I don't know, again, how far we'll get. I really would love to finish the first 11 chapters today, but I don't know that we'll be able to do it. We're just going to see how far we can go. As we open the book of First Kings, chapters 1 through 4, as I said, deal with the early acts of Solomon. Uh, but the book actually, chapter 1, actually opens with this, First Kings 1 and 1. Now King David was old and stricken in years, and they covered him with clothes, but he got no heat. All right, and, and most scholars say this is talking about bedclothes. In other words, they, they piled blankets on him, but he just he could not get warm. There, was, uh, there, there were evidently circulation problems. Now, we don't know how old David was at this point. He was uh, 70 when he died. The Bible says he was old, but... Uh, in in David's day, the the lifespan of most of the Jewish people was only about sixty, and David was probably about sixty nine at this point. He was approaching death. There are a few things that happen before he actually dies, which leads us to believe we're probably about a year out from his actual death at this point. And um, so, uh, scholars kind of think that probably David is about 69 years old uh, at this point, and he was obviously having some circulation problems, and no matter how much they tried, he, he, could, not, he could not get warmth in his body, and he was about to die. We find him on his deathbed. Now, seeing David in this condition, Something happened in the heart of one of his sons. Now we just we just went through Second Samuel and all that David had to battle among his children, from incest to uh, fratricide, the murdering of your own brother, uh, to the attempted overthrows of the kingdom uh, from his own sons. I mean, David went through a lot of problems in his family. Now David is about to die. And here comes another of his boys. And verse 5 says this. Then Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted now, himself. Hang on just a minute. Haggith was one of David's many wives. So don't read this and think this is some other guy. This is a woman. Uh, and, and Adonijah was the son of Haggith, one of David's other wives. And he exalted himself, saying, I will be king. I will be king. Here we go again. I will be king. And he prepared him chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. Oh, now. Church, I, you know, I hope. I, I, I don't know. I, just, I don't know if you enjoy this as much as I do or not. But I, I just find so much of this so intriguing, so, so captivating. This phrase may not mean much to you. He prepared him chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. Now, But I want you to notice that phrase. He prepared him chariots and horsemen and 50 men to run before him. This is Adonijah, another one of the sons of David. The amazing thing is, this is not the first time I've read this phrase. I, I read a phrase almost exactly like this. 
way back in 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 1. And it came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots. Prepared chariots and horses and, horses and 50, men, and to 50 men to run before him. Absalom, when he got ready to try to take over his dad's kingdom, this is the way he went about it. Adonijah now gets ready to do it. And what does he do? The same thing Big Brother had done many years before. I submit to you that the seeds of rebellion were planted in Adonijah's heart by his brother. Again, again, we see from the Scripture, rebellion is contagious. It's contagious. And I'm telling you, when somebody gets a spirit of rebellion on them, it will spread like wildfire if it's not dealt with. And, and I've been amazed through the years. I've watched people, I've watched somebody get a spirit of rebellion on them and things that they say and the things that they do. And then they finally reach a point, they up and leave or, or, or something happens and, and uh, they're gone. And then somebody else in the church starts saying the same things. Acting the same way. I'm telling you, the seeds of rebellion were planted in Adonijah's heart by his brother Absalom. And now he goes about trying to overthrow the kingdom in the exact same method his brother had done years before. Now, there were a couple things, I think, that emboldened this act of rebellion. Uh, one, of course, was the fact that dad's about dead. What's, what's David going to do to me? He can't stop me. David's lying here on his deathbed. He can't stop me. It's time for somebody else to be king. The second thing I think that emboldened him was the youthfulness of Solomon. Now, I want you to think about this with me. Even after Solomon becomes king, listen to what he says in his prayer to God. This is 1 Kings chapter 3, verse 7. Listen to this. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father. Uh -huh. And I, and I am a little but child. a little child. I know not how to go out or to come in. Now, this is after he's already become king. So I'm telling you that at this point, Adonijah looks around. He sees his dad's almost dead, and he sees his brother. He thinks is way too young. So I'm the heir apparent. It belongs to me. It's my right. Uh, now, just how young was Solomon? Well, uh, one historian, and there were two different men here that... that um, I found that wrote about this. One was a man by the name of Eusebius, and Eusebius is considered the father of church history. The other was Josephus, who's considered the father of Jewish history. And uh, these two men were, were pretty close in their estimation of the age of Solomon. One said that he was 12, and the other said he was 15. Uh, so we don't know exactly how old Solomon was, but I think we're pretty safe in assuming that he was not 20. I mean, saying he was 20 is probably stretching it. So here is a young guy, probably a teenager, maybe younger than that. 
His brother looks around. Dad's nearly dead. My brother's just a kid. I'm the man. It's mine. So I'm going to take it. And we've talked about this in previous lessons about trying to force your way into a position rather than waiting for God to grant it. But we, we won't get into all of that right now. But he, uh, he exalted himself and he said, I will be king. Now, I want to show you one other thing that allowed this thing to transpire. Not only was David well stricken in years and Solomon way too young in most minds to be an effective king, but there was another problem that I believe contributed to Adonijah's feeling of, of rebellion and his desire to take over the kingdom. And in verse 5 is where we read that he exalted himself and said, I will be king. Verse 6, the very next verse says this. And his father had not displeased him. His father had not displeased him at any time. At any time. And saying, why hast thou done so? In saying, why hast thou done so? And he also was a very goodly man, and his mother bare him after Absalom. All right, now, look. The Bible says there was never a time that David ever told him no. Well, it got quiet all of a sudden. David never told the boy no. He gave him everything he ever wanted. One commentator said his father had never checked or thwarted him all his life. There was never a time that David stopped him. David gave him everything he wanted. He gave into his every whim. He, he provided him with everything. Everything that little uh, Adonijah said was cute. Everything Adonijah did was precious. David never got on to him. David never corrected him. What do you expect somebody to grow up to be that's never corrected? Listen, Proverbs chapter 22. Maybe this is the reason why that Solomon wrote Proverbs 22.6. Maybe he thought about Adonijah. And what he had seen happen in his own brother's life. Proverbs 22 verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, I'm going to talk about this in, in just a moment. Just leave this up on the wall. But see, the Bible says that, that Adonijah's mother bare him after Absalom. You remember how David wept and sobbed at the death of Absalom? Don't you think it's very, very feasible that because Absalom died, David doted on the younger brother? He, he wanted to do for Adonijah what he had, in his mind, failed to do for Absalom. He didn't want to slight Adonijah because this was Absalom's full brother. Are you following my line of thinking? So he just... He just let Adonijah do whatever he wanted to do. He never corrected him. He never spanked him. He never... That, that, that brings up another thought to... The bi Look, Ben Franklin is the one who said, Spare the rod and spoil the child. That's not what God said. 
God said, he that spares the rod hates his child. That's what the Bible says. If you don't, if you don't spank, I'm not talking about beating. I'm talking about spanking. If you don't spank your child, the Bible says you don't love your child. You know, I, I, I found it was interesting. And I, again, I don't want to get too much into politics, but there's been a lot going on in the political scene this week. And I don't know how many of you have kept up with this whole acorn mess and, and uh, these undercover operations that have gone on in the acorn offices. Um, but there was a lady that was being talked to and she didn't know she was being recorded and she began to tell them how she didn't believe in spanking. She never spanked her children. But she also later went on to talk about how when her husband came up against her, she just picked up a gun and shot him. And uh, I'm thinking, you know, something's wrong with this picture. You, it, it's okay to shoot your husband. It's not okay to spank your child. What, what's, what's wrong with this picture? I, I don't care what the current philosophers tell you. Spanking, spanking, if it's done properly, is not abuse. It is God's chosen method of correction. All right, now let's talk about this. Proverbs 22, 6. Solomon wrote these words, and again, I think Solomon may have done it because he watched his dad dote on Adonijah. He watched his dad refuse to tell Adonijah no. He watched his dad never correct Adonijah, and he saw Adonijah come up and turn around and turn against his dad. And Solomon wrote these words. Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart depart from it. Now, I know we've taken this verse way out of context for years because folks say that means if you raise a child up in the church, he'll always live for God. I'm sorry, but there are many, many examples of how that's not true. That's not what Solomon is saying. In fact, if you go back to the original Hebrew, what he said was train up a child in his way. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. In other words, if you train a child to always get his way, when he gets older, he's still going to expect to get his way. If you give him every little thing, you never correct him, you never discipline him, you, you never get on to him, you never spank him. When he grows up, he's going to be an unholy terror. And you think it's going to make them love you. But Adonijah is proof. Adonijah didn't grow up to love his dad. He didn't grow up to love his dad. Not spanking them, not correcting them is not going to make those kids love you. It's going to keep them from really respecting you. Well, I'm not getting a whole lot of response this morning, but... Hallelujah. Adonijah tried to overthrow the kingdom. He got his group together. He called all of his other half-brothers in, and, and, and they were going to do a big party, just like Absalom had done. Same song, second verse. And, and so they all got together, and they were throwing their big party, and Nathan the prophet found out what was going on. The prophet got wind of what was happening. The prophet went to Bathsheba, and he said, Look, is there something I don't know about? 
Has David made some promise to Adonijah that I wasn't informed of? Didn't David promise you, Bathsheba, that your son was going to follow him as king? He said, we need to go talk to David about this. And so Bathsheba went in first and she approached David. And, and she said, said Lord, have, have, you, have you decided that Adonijah would be king instead of my son? And while she was yet speaking, Nathan the prophet came in. And he said to David, David, is there something you haven't told me? Have you changed your mind? Have you decided Adonijah is going to be the king? Because he's out here saying he's reigning right now. Now David's lying here on his deathbed. But there was a resolve that rose up in David. Up to this point, David had never told Adonijah no. But things begin to change. 1 Kings 1, verses 32 to 35. And, and I'm going to tell you something. Here's Bathsheba, his wife, had made the appeal, and it didn't seem to have any effect on him. But there was something still in the heart of David that when it came to the man of God, as soon as Nathan spoke, things began to change. Let's read. And King David said, Call me Zadok the, the priest, and Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and they came before the king. The king also said unto them, Take with you the servants of your Lord. Take the servants of your Lord. And call Solomon, call Solomon my, my son, son to ride upon to my, ride mule, on my mule and bring him down to Gihon. And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him their king over Israel. Let them anoint him king over Israel. And blow ye with blow the, the trumpet, trumpet and say, God have... Say, God save King God Solomon. God save King Solomon. Then ye shall come up after him, that he may come and sit upon my throne. For he shall be king in my stead. And I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and over Judah. All right, now, David was very decisive in this moment. David wasn't feeling well. David was in bad shape physically. But David knew the prophet had spoken, and David said, look, we're going to settle this issue once and for all. I want you to go down in the sight of everybody. I want you to anoint Solomon. I want you to put him on my mule. I want you to parade him through town. I want you, the leaders, the spiritual leaders, the priest and the prophet, I want you saying, God save King Solomon. I want everybody to know I want the parade to end in my palace. I want Solomon to sit on my throne. I want this nation to know Solomon is king and not Adonijah. And so they did. Well, word quickly got to Adonijah. And it's pretty funny really to read it. And, and again, I, I may be giving you way too much detail, but it's, it's pretty funny to read because the Bible says that as word began to get to uh, Adonijah and to those that are with him, that all the men fled. Or some friends he had, huh? They were there celebrating with him, partying with him, as long as they thought he was king. But as soon as they found out he wasn't king, they said, you know what? Uh, we're not in a very good place right now. They split. I mean, they took off. They got out of there as fast as they could. Well, Adonijah himself began to get scared. I don't have anybody here supporting me. I don't have anybody to fight for me. Solomon is now the king. I'm in big trouble. So the Bible says he went running for uh, the uh, uh, tabernacle. He, he, he ran. He threw himself upon the altar, grabbed the horns of the altar, 
and pled for mercy. And he said, I'm not leaving. I want mercy. I, I, I need mercy. And so they came and told Solomon, said, Adonijah has a hold of the horns of the altar. And he's pleading for mercy. And here's what Solomon said. 1 Kings 1, verse 52. And Solomon said, If he will show himself if a worthy man. If he shows man, himself to be a worthy man. There shall not an hair of him fall to the earth. Uh-huh. But of wickedness but shall be found in him. wickedness shall be found in him. He shall die. He shall die. So Solomon said, I'm not making the determination now, but I'm telling you this. We're going to find out what kind of man he is. We'll see it eventually. If he's really saying he's sorry, we'll see him act like he's sorry. But if he's not sorry, it'll show up. It'll come out. We'll see the truth. Time will tell. And I'll make my decision then what's going to be done with Adonijah. Now this is pretty smart for a young man. It was pretty smart. For, and this is before God gives him supernatural wisdom. I, I'm just telling you, there was a lot of intelligence and wisdom in this young man before that encounter. So, that closes out chapter 1, and then we get into chapter 2, and here we read about David's deathbed charge to Solomon. David knows he's dying. And he has some last words for his son who is going to become the king now in his stead. And, and it's kind of a lengthy reading. We won't take the time to read it all. But let's, let's read a few of these verses. It's important. The first word, David knows. Now get this. David knows he's dying. David knows his life is over and he's turning the kingdom over to Solomon. You know, these words are pretty important. Would you agree? What David's about to say is very important. And David wants to make sure, if he doesn't get anything else out, whatever he says first has got to be the most important thing. So, his first words, verses 1 through 4, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, read. Now the days of David drew nigh that he should die. And he charged Solomon his son, saying, I go the way of all the I earth. I go the way of all the earth. Be thou strong, be therefore. Be strong. And show thyself a man. And act like a man. That's pretty good advice. That's pretty good advice. Well, hallelujah. You know, I, I wish we would hear more preaching about that. I'm telling you, this world is so twisted. I read the other day about some, I think, 12-year-old kid that showed up at school after a summer break, had been a boy all this time, and came in after summer break dressed as a girl, because he's getting ready to have an operation and be changed. Twelve years old. What a sick, twisted world we live in. Now, I'm just telling you, men be men. Old Brother Marcus used to say, if your voice is too high, go gargle some gravel. If you, if you have too much of, a, of an effeminate walk, then go hire on at a dude ranch somewhere and learn how to swagger like a cowboy. But be a man! Well, hallelujah! Well, that was the first thing he said. He said, look, I'm about to die. And I'm telling you, Solomon, you better be a man! Don't you be some limp-wristed sissy sitting on this throne. 
You better be a man. Now, David was a man. You hear me? David was a man. Anybody that can fight a bear single-handed is a man. Anybody that can fight a lion single-handed is a man. You hear me? David wasn't a sissy. He wasn't swatting him with his purse. And he told Solomon, son, you better be a man. You better get a backbone about you. Well, praise God. All right, what else is he going to say to Solomon? Verse 3. And keep the charge of the Lord thy God. Keep the charge of the Lord thy God. To walk in His ways. Walk in His ways. To keep His statutes. Keep His statutes. And His commandments. Keep His commandments. And His judgments. Keep His judgments. His testimonies. Keep His testimonies. As it is written in, the law, written Moses, in the law of Moses. That thou mayest prosper in so all that thou doest. prosper in everything you do. And whithersoever thou turnest you thyself. turn yourself. That the Lord may continue His word. That God may continue His word. Which He spake concerning me, saying, If thy children take heed to their way to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, there shall not fail thee, said he, a man on the throne of Israel. Now, David, there were a lot of other things that David went on to talk to Solomon about, but this is just what I wanted to point out to you, that David made sure First and foremost, Solomon understood there is nothing more important when you get on the throne than that you do what God wants you to do. You remember how we discussed Saul missed the whole point of being king? That God's intention was never for Saul to really be the sole proprietor of the kingdom. God's intention was that there would be a joint kingdom that God and Saul would work together. Saul missed that entirely. And Saul thought it was his kingdom. David is the one who actually made it a theocracy again and made sure that the prophet was in a high position and that he listened to the voice of God and he did what God wanted. And when he did wrong, he was quick to repent and to make things right. But he never quit living for God. He never quit doing what he knew was right. David made sure whatever God wanted is what happened in Israel. And David said to Solomon, look, you see how God has blessed me. You see what God has done under my leadership. I'm telling you, it's not because of me, except for the fact that I've tried to do what God told me to do. And Solomon, if you'll do the same thing, God will bless you too. And so then, as soon, as soon as David has finished giving his advice to Solomon. We don't read anything else. I don't know if it happened that quick, but in the Scripture, as soon as he finishes giving advice to Solomon, the Bible says David died. So I don't know if he died right then, but it's just the way you read it in the Scripture. I mean, it just—it was like these literally were David's very last words. And, and he's gone, and Solomon is king. Solomon is king. And, uh, and so... Uh, once David dies, Adonijah, Adonijah, you remember, you know, he was the guy that was hanging there at the altar and, and, and pleading for mercy. Adonijah goes to Bathsheba, Solomon's mother. It's not Adonijah's mother, but it's kind of convoluted. When you've got this many wives, you know. Um, somebody asked me one time, said, why doesn't the Scripture, why doesn't the New Testament teach against polygamy? I said, it does. Jesus said, no man can serve two masters. 
Um, hallelujah. Solomon. Solomon's mother was Bathsheba. And Adonijah went to Bathsheba and said, look, I know how much Solomon loves you. And Solomon will not tell you no. Whatever you ask, you're his mama. And he's not going to tell mama no. So he said, I have a request. Now, chapter 1, back when David was having these circulatory problems, chapter 1 says they brought in a young virgin and uh, brought her to David. And Adonijah now asks for that woman who had become David's concubine. Her name was Abishag. Abishag had become another of David's concubines. Adonijah now asks Bathsheba, go see if Solomon will give me Abishag to be my wife. This is, this is just... This is convoluted stuff. This is his dad's wife, basically. And I want her now to be my wife. And... Uh, Bathsheba said, well, I'll, I'll ask. And so she goes before Solomon. And it's interesting because Adonijah knew Solomon pretty well to some degree. Because when Bathsheba comes in, she said, I have a request of you, Solomon. And he said, ask what you want because I will not tell you no. The very thing that Adonijah said she, that Solomon would say is what he said. I will not tell you no. But he did tell her no. In fact, it upset him pretty bad. Listen, now, you remember what Solomon had said in, in chapter 1? Let's read chapter 1, verse 52 again, just, just to remind you. This is what Solomon said when they came and told him Adonijah was holding on to the horns of the altar, pleading for mercy. Chapter 1, verse 52. Solomon said, if he will show himself a worthy man, there shall not an hair of him fall to the earth. But if wickedness shall be found in him, he shall die. All right, Solomon said, time's going to tell what's really in his heart. He says he's sorry. He's, he's, he says he wants mercy. We're going to find out. We're just going to give him time. Well, I mean, there's not hardly any time passes. And he's asking for the wife of the king to be his wife. And so here's Solomon's response. Chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. Then King Solomon swear by the Lord. Swear by the Lord, saying... God do so to God me. God do so to me. And more also. And more also. If Adonijah have not spoken this word against his own life. Mm. Read. Now therefore, as the Lord liveth, which hath established me and set me on the throne of my of David my father, and who hath made me in house as he promised, Adonijah shall be put to death Adonijah this day. Adonijah shall be put to death this day. And King Solomon sent by the hand of Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he fell upon him that he died. And he fell upon him that he died. <clears throat> Solomon said, we're going to find out what's really in Adonijah's heart. And what he had said to Bathsheba when she came before him, he said, wilt thou ask for Adonijah the kingdom also? He saw this as Adonijah's way of trying to go around Solomon 
that if he could marry the one who had been the wife of the king, he was just trying to set himself up. In other words, he wasn't really sorry after all. Solomon had said, we're going to find out whether he's sorry. We're going to find out if he's truly repenting. We will see. And they did. And Solomon said, put him to death. And so they did. I don't know whether to try to go on or not. We are we're finished with chapter 2. If I get into chapter 3... Uh, we we can do it. We we can let's let's go through chapter three. Um, once all of this is settled, then then some time passes. We don't know how much time, but at some point Solomon. Now obviously he's grown by this point. In fact, the Bible says he's already gone and married uh, the daughter of the Pharaoh of Egypt, and so he's he is an an adult at, at some point. I don't know how old. Obviously, still a young man because of what he prays uh, in. Uh, chapter 3, but he, he's going now to Gibeon and he's going to offer sacrifices and offerings to God. Uh, it, it's one thing that we see in the life of Solomon in, in his early life that he was a man who believed in prayer, who believed in sacrifice, who believed in worship, uh, just like his father David. There were things in him that David had put in him and, and Solomon started out on the right path. And so in chapter 3 he is going to find a place to offer sacrifice and offerings to God and so he's there and he's praying and he's talking to God and God appears to him in a dream with a most amazing offer. 1 Kings chapter 3 verse 5 And Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night and God said ask what I shall give thee. Hmm. Now, I want to ask you something. If God appeared to you in a dream tonight and said, whatever you want, I'll give it to you. What would you ask for? If you had never read the story of Solomon, what would you ask for? Can we be honest? Most of us would ask for money. Well, we got one honest person in the house. Most of you would ask for money. Nobody still, nobody's wanting to say amen, but it's, you know it's the truth. If you'd never read the story of Solomon and God appeared to you and said, I'll give you anything you want, you'd say, all right, God, fill up my bank account. In fact, just close down the bank and put all that in my account. Or we would ask for Health, or long life, or, God, you know that person has been mistreating me? Zap them real good, would you? Well... Honest, I mean, really... Could you check your heart and ask yourself, if God would give me anything, any one thing, what would I ask for? What would I ask for? Now, Solomon didn't have a Bible story to go back and read. Solomon is caught totally off guard. 
God appears to him in a dream and says, tell me what you want, Solomon, I'll give it to you. Of course, Solomon recognized what his true need was. And he relays that to God in verses 7 through 9. 1 Kings chapter 3, verses 7 through 9. Let's read. And now, Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant instead of David my father, king instead of David my father, and I am but a little child. I'm, I'm just a child. I know not how to go out or come in. I don't know how to go out or come in. And thy servant is in the midst of thy people, and, which and thou I'm hast chosen. And I'm in the midst chosen. of the people that you've chosen. A great people. A great people. That cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Uh-huh. Give therefore and thy so servant. give me an understanding, an understanding heart, heart. To judge thy people. To judge thy people. That I may discern, so I can between, discern good between good and bad. Good and bad. For who is able to judge this by so great a people? God, I, I appreciate you asking me what I want. There's one thing I really need. I don't know how to be a king. I don't know how to lead this people. They're going to be coming to me for answers, and I don't have those answers. I don't, I don't know what to tell them. So God, there's just one thing that I want. Give me an understanding heart. So I can judge between good and evil. Give me an understanding. That, that's, all I, that's all I want. I just I want to be able to know what to do. And to do it right. Now, God's response to Solomon, to me, is reminiscent of God's response to David. You remember how we talked about when David said, you know, I want to build God a house. And God said, you're not going to build one. But, you may remember that? God said, I am so impressed with what you've said that I'm making a covenant with you, David. Remember that? God was so moved by David's heart and by the thing that David wanted to do that God said, I'm going to build you a house. You won't be able to build me one, but I'm going to build you one. Remember that? Well, Solomon comes along and God says, what do you want? And Solomon said, all I want is an understanding heart. I just want to be able to really know what's right and what's wrong. That's all I want. And God was so moved. Listen to the response. Verses 10 through 14. And the speech pleased the Lord. That pleased Solomon the Lord. Had asked this that thing. Solomon had asked this thing. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing. And because you've asked this. And, hast not and you asked have for not asked for long life. Long life neither hast asked riches for thyself. You haven't asked for riches. Nor hast asked the life of thine enemy. You haven't asked me to zap those that you don't like. But hast asked for thyself understanding to discern but judgment. You have asked for understanding to discern judgment. Behold. I have done according to thy word. I have done what you have asked. Lo, I have given thee a wise, a wise and understanding, and understanding heart, heart. So that there was, so none, that like there was none like thee before thee. Neither after thee neither shall any arise shall like unto thee. After thee be anybody like nobody. So you're going to be unequaled. Solomon didn't ask for that. He didn't say make me the wisest man to ever live. He said just help me to understand. 
And God said, I'm so impressed with that request that I'm going to make you the wisest man to ever live. But that's not all he said. And I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked. I'm giving you what you didn't ask for. Both riches. I'm going to give you riches. And honor. And honor. So that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. And I'm telling you, what did Jesus say? When Jesus was on earth and talking about the lilies of the field, He didn't say, even David in all his glory was not clothed. What did He say? Solomon. Solomon. There was never another king like Solomon when it came to glory and fame and riches and wisdom. And Solomon didn't ask for fame, glory, and riches. He asked for understanding. But God was so impressed. You know, really, who we are and what we are is revealed in our prayer life. Do you hear me? It's revealed in our prayer life. What The things that we pray about really say a lot about who we really are and what we really want. The only time we ever really talk to God is when we're sick. It says something. We spend time praying God meet this financial need. and meet. The, I'm not saying we shouldn't ask those things. But I'm telling you, if the focus of our prayer is always give me, give me, give me for my sake. That says something about our character. But Solomon said, I need an understanding heart. Why? So people can applaud my wisdom? No. Because I don't know how to be a king. And these people are going to want answers. I want understanding so I can help them. And God said, I am impressed with this. I'm going to give you that and more. I'm going to give it to you in such abundance there will never be anybody as wise as you. And besides that, I'm giving you the things you didn't even ask for. In verse 14. And if thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. And so then the rest of this chapter 3, and the musician can go ahead and come, the rest of this chapter 3 then gives us an example of the wisdom of Solomon. You remember the story of the two women with the children, they, uh, that one of them died in the night and the other one went and took her baby. And, and, and so they wake up in the morning and, and she's got a dead baby and she looks at it and she says, this is not my baby. And, and she looks at the baby the other woman has said, wait, that's my baby. And so they're fighting about whose baby is the real baby. And, and, and they come to Solomon for an answer. Now, how would you like to have to solve that kind of problem? And the wisdom of Solomon was shown when he said, bring me a sword. Now, I know some folks say, well, that's stupid. But Sol- Solomon never had any attention on killing the baby. Solomon was trying to learn something about these two women. Bring me a sword. Bring me a sword. So they did. And Solomon said, let's cut the baby in half. We'll end this problem. And one woman said, yeah, that's probably the best way to do it. And the other woman said, oh, no, 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 don't, 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 don't kill the baby. Give it to her. Just let her have it. It's fine. Just don't, don't kill the baby. 
And Solomon said, you know, it was a simple test of love. And I see who loves this baby. And the one that loves the baby is the real mama. And people were just amazed at that kind of wisdom. As well they should be. In fact, uh, the chapter 3 closes with these words. 1 Kings chapter 3 verse 28. And all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had judged. And they feared the king. And they feared the king or respected the king. For they saw that the they wisdom saw of God that the wisdom of God was in him was in him to do judge to do judge. Now listen, remember that Solomon was still a very young man. There were people coming to him with problems, you know. And 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 I heard this when I was I was twenty four years old when I took uh, assumed my first pastorate. Twenty four years old. That's that's pretty young. How old are you, Brandon? Twenty three. So. I was just about Brandon's age when I became a pastor. I had people there in the church, in the congregation, old enough to be my grandparents. All right? And one of them literally said to me one day, you know, I just, I don't know how you're going to be able to help me with my situations. As young as you are, you've never experienced what I've been through in life. You, you how are you going to give me the answers? Well, you know, as a 24-year-old, I didn't have the answers in myself. But Israel looked at Solomon, who was a young man, and he may have been, at this point, 23, 24 years old. Maybe younger than that. But all of Israel realized, and here's, they, they saw, they heard of the judgment, they respected the king, because they saw that the wisdom of God was in him. They realized this man's not operating of his own accord. And you know what? I don't care how old you are, God's older. I don't care what you're going through, God's seen it before. God's got an answer. So it doesn't matter how old the man is that's talking to you, if he can just hear from God, you can get a good answer. Of course, you know, I'm old enough now that I'm pastoring people that are young enough to be my grandkids. So it's, things have changed in the last 25 years. But uh, it is amazing to me that here was a man a man of young age, but the hand of God was so evident upon him that all the people realized he may be a young king. And, and this is not like what they've seen. You know, this is only the third king that Israel's ever had. Remember the first one? He was head and shoulders above all the rest. Remember? The Bible said from, from his shoulders and upward, he was taller than anybody else in Israel. He was a big man. That was their first king. Their second king was the man that fought lions and bears with his bare hands. Their third king now is a young guy who's lived a very sheltered life, born into a palace, raised by a king. What's he going to be able to do? 
Well, on his own, nothing. But with the touch of God on him. God's going to bless the kingdom of Israel. It's going to expand. It's going to be recognized. It's going to be heralded. People all over the world are going to talk about the kingdom of Israel. In fact, we're going to see, we, when, when finally we get down to that point, we're, we're going to see there are visiting dignitaries who come just to check it out. They've heard so much about how great the kingdom of Solomon is. And they travel, and travel was not, you don't just go to Hotwire and find a cheap ticket and jump on a plane and travel thousands of miles. You know, it wasn't that easy. And so for the head of state, for a queen to load up a caravan, she has no political reason to be there. She's just coming out of curiosity. I'm telling you, there must have been some stories going around. You hear me? That's how much God blessed this man, and everyone realized the hand of God was on him. The sad thing, go ahead and play something. Uh, the sad thing is, and we're not to that point yet, but God said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you wisdom. God gave it to him. But you know, there were times he didn't use what God gave him. There were times he didn't use what God gave him. It's kind of like us. When we get the Holy Ghost, we've got the power to overcome any sin, any temptation. When we get the Holy Ghost, we've got the power to do what's right. But we don't always use it. You say, how could the wisest man to ever live end up in such a mess? Well, God gave him wisdom. But giving him wisdom and him using wisdom are two different things. Well, hallelujah. And I'm telling you, that's the way it is with us as the people of God. We've got the greatest gift ever known to man. When we received the Holy Ghost, we received the ability to live as God wants us to live. But we don't always use what God gave us. So don't be so quick to point your finger at Solomon. Don't be so quick to condemn Solomon for the things that he did if you're not taking advantage of the power God has given you. In fact, we talked about this yesterday at the youth rally, but really the power that the Holy Ghost says comes, that power is the power to be witnesses. Are we using that? Are, are we using that power? Oh, it's quiet this morning. The Bible says, when you receive the Holy Ghost, God gives you the power to be witnesses. Are you using that power? There's a whole lot of folks that are not. A lot of folks, I'm not just talking about here locally, I'm talking about all around the world that are not using the power God gave them. They're not spreading the gospel. 
They're not sharing it with anyone. They're not using what God gave them. So don't condemn Solomon unless you're using what God gave you. Well, praise God. Let's stand and lift our hands to the Lord right now.